Salutations, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of a brand new podcast called Out of the Tower, in which we find philosophy and tech neck and neck. I am your host, Peter O'Mara, and I would like to start things off today, our very first episode, on a little bit of a, a smaller side of things in order to get ourselves going. So, as you know, oh, uh, the unfortunate uh, coronavirus pandemic has swept the globe over the past several months and has led to all manner of cancellations of celebrations, events, and festivals the likes of which we have not seen in a very, very long time. In particular, one of these casualties was the annual South by Southwest Festival held in Austin, Texas annually. I myself was very disappointed to hear that this uh, wonderful, wonderful event was canceled because, as it happens, I myself uh, was able to go to the festival last month or rather, I should say, last year around this time. And what I thought would be a great thing to do today would to be to share uh, some of the experiences that I had at the, the festival. And in particular, look at the different ways in which many different tech leaders are seeking to embrace philosophy as a guiding force for change, but don't quite have a roadmap, if you will, yet. They're not quite shall we say, in the planning stage that I think would be optimal uh, in order to help facilitate that change. So just to give you a little bit of background on me before we begin, I myself am a uh, philosophy student. I uh, graduated with a uh, undergraduate degree in philosophy and are hoping to uh, pursue that at one day uh, to the PhD level. So I'm really coming in from the more uh, humanities side of things. That is really where I do see uh, my, for lack of a better word, uh, forte, if you will. So uh, to begin with, uh, uh, being able to attend South by Southwest last year was an absolute, absolute treat, the, the likes of which I had never, ever experienced before. And, and um, I mean, from the music festivals to just being able to see all of the different panels that were taking place to the way in which it seemed everybody was getting a chance to get up and speak um, and ask questions to the presenters um, and the panelists that they uh, as they wanted to. It was just an absolute wonderful. <laughs> well, as you can probably tell, words are failing me a little bit right now. But in any event, I did want to get into uh, some of the uh, panels that I did manage to attend last year and the ideas and struggles therein. And so uh, given the human connections that many of these different innovations across the um, industries and sectors are seeking to simulate, uh, they really have opined that a knowledge of ethics and existentialism, among many other branches of philosophy, are necessary for growth. And however, other to consult uh, PhD philosophers, a few companies have really begun to implement what I find to be a genuine roadmaps to how we're going to help facilitate that change, how we can really incorporate philosophy into these different industries. So it goes beyond, um, as far as my experience would see at least, uh, simply these uh, panels and the way in which they are declaring that philosophy is necessary. So that is something that I am really hoping to see a change in the future. And I have no that while seasoned thinkers can definitely shine uh, light on these matters, there does exist a plentiful of different options for recent philosophy graduates, it's, um, at least in theory. Unfortunately, uh, currently the roles are related that are related to philosophy are typically filled uh, by graduate students at the absolute bare minimum. And I 
definitely seeing that uh, in many different uh, sectors. Um, I do believe, however, that uh, the skills of philosophy students, uh, especially when coupled with uh, individuals and particularly this generation of the the digital natives, as they are known, if we are going to if we are able to combine these uh, these two skills, I really think that is going to help facilitate a brand new a niche, if you will, that allows um, tech companies to facilitate the changes they want to see philosophy drive. So, uh, for example, I got to see many different uh, um, innovations there. In particular, there were uh, many people discussing the Google Home Mini, which from an aesthetic standpoint had been likened to something as simple and minimalistic as a pebble. Oh. And in addition, there are also oh, uh, panelists who were describing how some social networks have been compared to a hearth, specifically the hearth, the fire, uh, the centerpiece, you will, of a home, as well as a tool to bring communities together. And for these designs to have such, not only a minimalist, minimalistic, uh, whichever word you prefer, um, design, you also uh, do tend to know Otis, uh, how chameleon they are in imitation to these very basic, very intimate and visceral connections we do have to um, these everyday objects. And in particular, uh, some of the questions that were raised by uh, Yi-Yoon Lim, uh, who at the time was the uh, MIT Design Lab director. Uh, she would ask questions such as, uh, we should ask philosophically uh, what makes us human. Can technology try to be human in that way? Uh, what is the good experience we are trying to design? As we are developing tech, if we remember what the core value is, that can direct where tech will go in the future. And I personally find uh, that to be a really, really, um, in, um, I shouldn't say uh, first, more specifically, uh, inspiring but encouraging uh, sentiment to be able to uh, center in on that, um, that general, va the general value uh, of we're going to have this, uh, this idea or this belief or this set of beliefs, and we're going to make sure that that is the driving force. Um, to, to, so to have a very value-driven um, enterprise or, or set of uh, goals that is uh, directed by philosophy uh, in any particular sector for tech, I think is absolutely wonderful. Now, in particular, uh, personally, in the years ahead, I would like to observe the dialogue, uh, general discourse, and other factors that uh, shape a given value for a given set of tech enterprises. enterprises um, and how much philosophers would have a say given direct involvement. So what I mean by that is there are many, many different and, uh, social, political, and economic, and technological factors to consider when uh, driving a sector or company forward with its goals. And what I am hoping to see are the different ways in which uh, philosophers, uh, all other things being equal, are given a, a say in the matter. And, uh, and especially uh, at what juncture within the enterprise, what junctures within the company they are allowed to have a say and to what extent that will affect other areas within the enterprise or the company. I am very eager to see how that will uh, be shaped in the future. Or, uh, assuming that we can definitely uh, begin to move um, this this uh, this enterprise this general enterprise uh, forward of better implementing in philosophers. 
Now, before we continue, uh, I would like to touch upon one particular uh, struggle, if you will, that I think um, tends to be a little overlooked uh, when it comes to uh, just the, I would say, the philosophical experience in general. Um, it's one that I myself have definitely uh, had to deal with at times. Um, and it's, it's, it's one that is a very understandable um, when you uh, do to look at the bigger picture of things. But I do think if we are going to uh, work together with philosophers and scientists, as well as other roles are going to work together to help facilitate the changes and the progress that we do want to see. I do think a bit more of a, a better understanding of this more a visceral, uh, uh, perhaps not exactly quantifiable experience is something that needs to be better understood and uh, without building that up anymore. Uh, what I am uh, specifically referring to is is that, um, and I'll put it in the simplest terms that I can. Um, so when, when uh, you are studying philosophy, especially at the undergraduate level, and that is something that I myself have firsthand experience with, uh, there are times when you will have um, individuals ask, so, or rather just say, ask rhetorically, oh, so you do a lot of uh, reading and writing, uh, because uh, those are the things that most people tend to see when they uh, see a philosophy students in action. And to that, I say, they're absolutely right. You do uh, perform a lot of reading and you do perform a lot of writing. But part of the issue is that um, that I do believe a lot of people uh, who are not uh, practicing philosophy or studying it anyway uh, do understand perhaps um, in, 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 on an intellectual level but don't fully grasp is that there is a third step to that that's actually very, very important. And that is the actual philosophical process. Now, I absolutely cannot speak for every philosophy student out there and every uh, teacher and professor of philosophy who's ever uh, regularly performed that. Certainly not. I would never try to make so bold a claim at the moment. But it's important to remember, I feel, especially when you are uh, entering a different fields and sectors that are so data-driven and want to measure in things that are quantifiable, is that the philosophical process, it does tend to be a, a little bit hard to describe because most people do only see the reading and they do only see uh, the writing. And those are absolutely uh, crucial parts. I would be ridiculous of me to try to uh, diminish that. But at the same time, when you are going about your day-to-day uh, -day life and you're slowly thinking about things and you're slowly trying to put the pieces together and those are the moments that you realize if you're practicing philosophy at least um, in the back of your head that you kind of struggle to uh, describe a lot of times maybe to friends and family even though you know what it feels like and it's a very visceral feeling and in many cases it ends up with a uh, quality uh, product a paper or a complete assignment at the end of the day and to be able to personally reflect and think to yourself, well, I've got all of the, I've got this ability to think critically. I've got the ability to think uh, incredibly um, deeply for a very long period of time about these unbelievably complex ideas. And then we inevitably, um, as I certainly have, we get into the working world and we try to uh, quantify um, those uh, skills. It can definitely be very, very difficult to put that in accurate words and even more difficult for uh, individuals who don't uh, have much experience with philosophy to really uh, understand what that feels like because you do know that you're doing something that is just as rigorous and just as, um, uh, for lack of a better word, term, if you'll allow me to put it this way, how beautifully strenuous, I would say, as um, 
performing philosophy. It's just there's this shame that you can't see it. And um, a little bit of analogy that I've uh, kind of, um, or example rather, that I've used with myself in the past is if you were to have a um, an individual who has no experience within science uh, whatsoever, um, however that would may be, and they were to come into a, a laboratory and they were to watch a scientist at work. Uh, w- the example that I uh, tend to uh, think of is they could have, the, the person observing the scientist, they could have absolutely no idea what is going on, what is happening, what is even being de- described to them, absolutely completely in the dark, all of it is going over their head. But they would be pretty hard-pressed to deny that they were seeing something being done, that they were actually witnessing a certain activity. Philosophy, I find, doesn't really have the luxury, at least to the same level. Again, people can see the reading, they can see the writing, but those things aren't as I, I viscerally quantifiable, for lack of a better way of putting it. And I do see, a, a, try, getting back on topic here, I do see a very expressed desire for um, the tech industry to understand that feeling better, to understand that sensations. And that gives me an unbelievably uh, great, great feeling of hope for the future. But I do believe uh, more work does need to be done and more dialogue uh, in, that, in that particular type of conversation needs to be uh, better facilitated. Uh, so uh, thank you for allowing me to go on a little bit of a tangent right there. I just thought that was an important thing to uh, get out while I still could. But the, la- the next thing I would like to uh, talk about in particular um, that I thought was uh, uh, fascinating at these panels was um, AI. And the b- but board in particular um, uh, was, talk- uh, was talking a great deal about uh, how AI was not exempt uh, from similar considerations. So in particular, in discussions from uh, totalitarian code uh, to autonomous vehicles and even uh, musical instruments, this is a this is a couple different panels actually. I apologize for the confusion there, but they do in each instance see a, a need for ethics to be fully uh, fully embraced. And in and in one particular panel, uh, it was emphasized how uh, already uh, many government leaders are seeing uh, the wielding of AI for deplorable ends, in particular uh, totalitarian nations are attempting to use. Um, the power of AI uh, to suit their own needs. And and they were in particular making the distinction between a, a democracy and a totalitarian government and all of the unsettling, for lack of a better word, implications that that in itself brings. And particularly that I, uh, one of the speakers who, uh, for uh, this one particular panel, that I thought uh, put, uh, phrased things in a very, very intriguing way was uh, Josh Marcuse. Now, um, he's had several roles, but at the time, in particular, he was the executive director of the Defense Innovation Board. Um, among other different roles that he uh, holds, and he noted was no, and I noted him as saying, uh, "Not all nations share our values, and the world authoritarian regimes compel engineers to create AI for repression." And then, on an ethical note, he happens to add, "If you have a consequentialist view, you care more about what you are emphasizing." than what you are explaining, and that in autonomous cars, you are asking how many thousands of people will die. And he asks, why should explainability be the standard? Now, building off the last conversation, and last topic and tangent, I should say, um, 
for a moment. What I found particularly uh, unique about the, his uh, phrasing of that matter is the fact that he did use the word consequential. Um, as I found it to be uh, rather academic, um, but in a positive way, of course. I want to make very clear about that. And I found that highly encouraging as, although it is in itself very anecdotal and a minor case, and I would not want to uh, make a case for its influence then and there than it, than it actually extended to, I do believe that the sharing of language between scholars and labor especially when someone is a scholar in one subject but a layperson in another, is absolutely critical. That ability to build a bridge when it comes to language will be paramount in every single way. And in addition, um, exploring different uh, normative ethical branches uh, and to, um, to uh, clarify uh, for those who are unaware, normative uh, ethics is the branch of ethics that deals with what we ought to do. Uh, so as to that, uh, exploring different normative ethical branches in government and tech would be a great leap forward, but I would like to add one must consider how one may be favored over another due to factors outside of a generally philosophical approach. And what I mean by that is if we're trying to move um, the enterprise of getting philosophers involved in tech uh, more uh, to be uh, truly uh, worthwhile, I do think we have to take a very uh, prudent and uh, cautious um, approach to the whole matter because we would want to see, we would want to be able to, I don't know if at, at, in the foreseeable future this could necessarily be quantified, but I would certainly want to see a system in which we can uh, better uh, verify the ways in which uh, philosophers are having a role and their say is being measured against other factors that they may or may not have a say in to um, overcome or be undermined by, again, different economic and political and social reasons that uh, definitely need to be considered. Um, if we want that exploration of the uh, potential philosophers in the tech industry uh, to succeed, we really uh, do need to be prudent and smart about that. Uh, that uh, awareness, the self-awareness, I should say, of all the different factors at play. Now, another area that I found uh, particularly intriguing in this stage was, uh, or rather I should say, among these panels was the matter of data. And as to that, it ha as uh, many of you have seen, especially with uh, facial recognition systems, uh, data has repeatedly demonstrated its capacity to uh, hurt as much as it can help with un un unintended consequences. And uh, as to those facial recognition systems, uh, you may have heard that many of them do discriminate based on race. And then, in, and then by extension, uh, many different instances of uh, surveillance data frequently ignore uh, different inferences that can be made. And as to that, uh, Josh Klein, the CEO of H4X Industries, LCC, uh, did argue that data can be used for good, but it often isn't due to human laziness. And he in particular finds that to be a quote-unquote bad excuse, and I would certainly agree with him. And he says that while change is difficult, we ought to endeavor to improve data on people such that ethics are met and business still thrive. And he further remarks, treating people like robots does not equal profit. If you get data on toothpaste wrong, toothpaste doesn't have a bad day. If we don't face social biases, we don't create large-scale positive social change. And once again, it is incredibly encouraging to see that perspective, that, that initial ideal, idealistic desire uh, to move forward and to implement that change. Um, I, mean, I mean, I would certainly not want to sound like a broken record at this juncture, but I um, definitely do uh, believe 
if that uh, this attitude, uh, which was very widespread across the board at South by Southwest 2019, was um, absolutely absolutely remarkable. And uh, as to that, of course, I'm I'm inevitably going to be in the one audience saying, you know, okay, that's great. And then how are we going to move that forward? What what is the what are the brass tacks going to look like? So. I'm going to be very eager to see how that um, does en- end up shaping because I think we can safely establish that there is a desire, there is a want, but we do need to see how that's actually going to happen. We need to move on to the practicality of it all. Now, uh, moving forward a bit, uh, so at the at the end, we can definitely acknowledge that there is a desire to see um, science and technology incorporate philosophical rigor, but there isn't a... Uh, there aren't any real tangible initiatives. And I promise I'll stop repeating myself after this point. So moving away from uh, the South by Southwest 2019 festival for a moment, there is another uh, matter, another uh, 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 pair of individuals who were uh, tackling uh, the the matters of a bias in artificial intelligence. In particular, uh, that is uh, Jake Silberg and James Ma. Anjika of a McKinsey and Company. They do reiterate the priority uh, for collaboration between tech and philosophy. They uh, fairly recently uh, published a piece uh, known as Tackling Bias in Artificial Intelligence, uh, parentheses, and in humans. They do note that bias in AI is described as an issue only addressable uh, with a multidisciplinary approach. In particular, uh, they quote, business leaders can also help support progress by making more data available to researchers and practitioners across organizations working on these issues while being sensitive to privacy concerns and potential risks. Uh, They further explain uh, more progress will require interdisciplinary engagement, including ethicists, social scientists, and experts who best understand the nuances of each application area in the process. Now, again, this is where I uh, feel uh, truly encouraged, where I feel that the conversations uh, that that were initially had at South by Southwest are really are starting to uh, come. Uh, I shouldn't say full circle. That's that's completely inaccurate. But are are starting to make that first small but necessary step. We're we're getting down to the conversation of what needs to be done. You know, we, we we've got the poetry. We've got. Um, the ideals, we've got the imagination, and now how are we actually going to accomplish that? So one of the things that I have particularly um, been uh, meditating on is that uh, there are several different uh, potential routes uh, that undergraduates uh, could take. So starting off very early in the education process, at least as far or back as as college, as the undergraduate level, I believe that um, uh, as a suggestion, uh, universities uh, could offer bachelor's degrees with emphasis in certain areas of tech or philosophy of science, and internships with organizations and think tanks facilitating panels between disciplines could be created as well. Uh, working alongside programmers, which seems to be a little bit of a recurring theme at uh, the South by Southwest Festival, um, insofar as both parties are involved in decision-making or influencing capacities and stations, uh, to be clear, uh, could also be a great way to build implementation and also, I feel that not only do you uh, build those brass tacks, not only do you build those results, on a more visceral human level, you 
build that interaction, you build that dialogue, you exchange that language, and that will help to at least for an individual company before hopefully moving on to an entire um, industry or sector. Those are some very subtle, but I believe um, crucial and paramount ways in which we can help facilitate uh, this change. Uh, Also, panels focusing on empathy and bias are areas which philosophy is quite adept at identifying, uh, could be held on a regular basis to evaluate the current code and product. Now, before we just get into a couple of uh, closing remarks here as we um, start to um, wind things down, um, I would like to hedge my suggestions just a little bit because I believe that programs specifically tailored to a chosen course in tech, so whether that's going to be engineering or coding, or whatever else it might be, uh, coupled with a branch of philosophy that could specifically complement it, uh, could be a very substantive step at an early juncture. Now, what I mean by that is, uh, on the one hand, it's a little tempting to think, well, of course, we could do uh, coding and ethics. Yes, I definitely agree that that would be an absolutely a wonderful uh, pairing to do. But I also do believe that, uh, um, for the sake of argument, if we're going to uh, consider all of these different programs, uh, theoretically, that might take place, and we're thinking about, well, what could be a um, a branch of tech that a student might want to uh, develop their career in. And uh, by extension, um, if you have a, a philosophy student who says, well, what do they uh, want to do with philosophy and uh, how is tech going to help complement them? So whether they're coming from a one side or the other or perhaps uh, from, both of, for, from both of them in an equally, equally strong way uh, from the outset, I do think um, not only do uh, you have to consider uh, the many different um, ways in which that ethics and um, coding or uh, mechanical engineering and, uh, say, for example, um, aesthetics, for example, because we were referring to earlier to the minimalist design of uh, the Google Home Mini. I do believe that you have to be careful, though, to think about uh, how such pairings are going to look in the grander picture, which is to say I would hope that there would be at least a decent variety of combinations and not a uh, oversaturation of certain pairings uh, within uh, tech and philosophy due to certain external factors which do not necessarily encourage differing perspectives across the sectors. Now, what I mean by that is, as I was mentioning, uh, mechanical engineering and aesthetics and ethics and coding. All of these are great. I would just want to make sure that there is uh, hopefully a healthy variety of different uh, pairings and ideas to go around, different types of exchanges. So we're not just seeing, for example, a proliferation of, uh, for example, coding and ethics because there's um, there's a growing industry there. Or, uh, there's a growing niche, I should say, and it's becoming in some ways a bit more uh, lucrative, which is, which, you know, financial considerations are definitely important to consider. And I uh, completely understand why someone would want to take a um, a role that definitely uh, does uh, assist them financially. The only uh, point that I'm uh, trying to make is that um, all these factors considered, you just want to make sure, or that um, we have different pairings, and we're we're take we 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 would be at that juncture taking the initiative to make sure that there's a uh, there's a healthy variety and the different ways that those varieties and those pairings could be implemented uh, down the line, whether someone is furthering their infor- uh, their education or they're really working uh, in an, in the industry or both, that there are different ideas, different 
and perspectives and not just a proliferation of just for example the two so you know uh, uh you know scenario that i would hopefully not want to see is oh just mechanical engineering and aesthetics in one hand and then ethics and coding in another i do think that that it's it, it's that that type of saturation of just those two roles, uh, for example, just just as an example, theoretically, I would not want to say that oversaturation. I would want to see a healthy variety. So, that being said, I do fully believe that philosophy's role in tech uh, not only appears to be unquestionable, but it does seem that it is taking its very first steps to uh, realizing a uh, a true nexus, if you will, a, a place where uh, both of the both tech and philosophy uh, work together to inform one another or, and and be a true driving force uh, for change. Um, and the attitudes that were presented not only by uh, the two individuals at McKinsey and Company, Jake Silberg and uh, James Nika, but also the many, many different wonderful panelists that I got to see at South by Southwest 2019. I believe that uh, attitudes like that are going to, in the future, help uh, those who feel trapped in the ivory tower uh, to uh, better believe that their degree has more use and uh, potential that they could have uh, ever thought of. Uh, when they first uh, uh, stepped into that Philosophy 101 class, as I know that I did way back in the day. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is the first, the inaugural episode of Out of the Tower. What I am hoping to do uh, with this uh, series going forward is I'm hoping to get an episode out at least um, at least once a month. I'm really trying to nail down the schedule for the time being. Uh, ideally, I'd like to have uh, two uh, podcasts a month. Um, if all goes well, I'm hoping that uh, we could get the second episode up by around the thir- uh, on the thirtieth of May. So that will be a uh, uh, Saturday, exactly two weeks from now. Uh, but I don't uh, sadly have a, a definitive schedule yet. But I will uh, be keeping you abreast of that. Uh, in the meantime, I am working on putting together a uh, social media. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, Twitter, I will let you all know when all of those are up. And in the meantime, if you would like to listen to this first episode, you're certainly going to be able to find it on uh, Stitcher um, very shortly. Um, although by this point, you've probably already figured that out <laughs> if you're already listening to it. Um, but I also am looking into other um, uh, places to uh, upload the show that I will be uh, keeping you fully informed on uh, as that information comes to me. So uh, in any event, I hope you enjoyed this first episode. Now, if you who, who will excuse me, I need to go back into the tower to figure out what other wisdom lays within, and I will see you when I emerge next time. Thanks so much, everybody, and I will catch you in the next one.